You're listening to Ramp, the Insight Squared podcast. This is Ramp, the SaaS analytics podcast brought to you by Insight Squared. Get the sales metrics you need to drive business growth with Insight Squared. Visit www.insightsquared.com to learn more. How do you build a nearly $3 million company in just two years with no outside investment and no sales team? I'm your host, Kara Hogan, and today I'm talking with Laura Roeder, who can tell you how she accomplished just that. Laura is the founder of Edgar, a SaaS social media automation tool that helps businesses get the most out of their social investment. Laura first became an entrepreneur at age 22 when she quit a design job and launched her first business. Since then, she co-founded B-School with Marie Forleo, has run successful courses on her own like Creating Frame, and was named a top 100 entrepreneur in America under 30. Laura launched Edgar in 2014, and the business quickly hit more than 150000 in monthly recurring revenue. With more than 5,000 customers today, Edgar is still growing rapidly. Becoming an entrepreneur at such a young age takes a very specific kind of ambition and drive. Laura explained that she didn't always want to start her own company, but realized very quickly that she preferred being her own boss. Not my whole life, but since I started working for myself and I was only 22, I've, I've wanted to work for myself for most of my life, obviously. I really started working for myself just because I wanted to craft my own career. I was working as a designer at an ad agency and I didn't want to do just design. I was interested in kind of the client side and the marketing side, and the strategy side, but I didn't really want to be an account executive either. I kind of wanted to do both. So I saw, okay, if I'm a freelance designer, I'll be able to do design and I'll also be able to do the whole client side and business side. So that's really why I quit to start working for myself. That's a big jump though, from, you know, being a freelance designer to starting your own business. Yeah. I mean, so that's been a very gradual process. So that was about 10 years ago that I quit my job and I started the software business in 2014. So in between, I did freelance design for a while and then I moved into social media consulting. And then I moved into social media kind of productized consulting and training. And then the software was really born from something that I was teaching in the training business. Basically, we created software to do what I was teaching people how to do manually. How did you come up with the idea for the company, Edgar? What need did you see in the market? And you said it was based on your personal experiences. What what experiences were those? What we were doing for our own social media at my company and what we were teaching is to create a spreadsheet with a bunch of different categories of all your updates and then cycle through the content in the spreadsheet over and over again. So after you've been doing social media marketing for a few years, you kind of start to see... Why am I coming up with new updates every single day, you know, multiple times a day for the rest of time when the majority of people are not seeing any update? In fact, usually like 95% of the people that follow you mm. are not seeing any given update you send out. So it really doesn't make sense to keep creating new content from scratch every day. So we developed this giant spreadsheet as a way to store all your content so you could go back and repurpose it. But there was so much grunt work involved. You know, we had to copy and paste all the updates into our social scheduling tool and just go back and do that over and over again. So I really thought, you know, why am I paying for a tool that doesn't at least store the updates and categories, if not repeat them? So yeah, we built Edgar to basically 
do this method of social media marketing where you can load up a library of all your content and, and really have a body of work for social that you can curate and you can improve rather than doing social as a kind of one-off, you know, on the fly, everyday type of thing. So you can use the exact same update over and over again. I'm not talking about like every 20 minutes, but right. every month or every few months. Absolutely. Uh, so you can definitely, you know, you can put whatever content you like into Edgar. You can do tweaked versions of the same content. But if you want to just send the exact same status update, it, it to the user, it always feels like, oh, I'm sending out something I, I just said. But that's because you saw it the last time. Your, your audience did not. You know, you just have to look at the numbers. Like anyone who has a Facebook page, Facebook displays this really front and center, which is why people get so frustrated with Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, most people's average reach on Facebook is is now around like 5% or less. So, you know, the numbers don't lie. The vast majority of people are not seeing your updates. Right. So what kind of results do your customers see in terms of increased social engagement? Well, so the biggest result than almost everyone sees immediately is the increase in traffic to their site from social media. You know, we'll often have customers say, we saw a four times increase in traffic. And I know exactly why. It's because they're posting links four times as often mm-hmm. <laughs> back to their site. And that sounds very simple. But if you aren't using a tool like Edgar, keeping up with social is is an almost impossible task. You know, so, yeah, as far as engagement goes, it's really going to depend on the user going in and doing the engagement parts of social media. So it's still really important to be social on social media. So you need to go in and retweet and share and comment and build relationships. And Edgar can do what software can do, which is make sure your updates are going out every day. But to make sure your engagement stays high, you need to go into the social channels and engage. Laura opted to bootstrap Edgar rather than seeking out funding. She explained that she could have raised money, but chose not to, specifically to maintain control of the business. So it was a decision that I really considered. I had never raised money before, but I knew that I could with this business. I, you know, over my years in business, I had a lot of those connections that I needed. And this is, it's a SaaS software company. It's it's the type of business that people will, (laughs) will give you money for. Right. And so I talked to a lot of friends that have, you know, raised a lot of money that have sold their companies. And universally, they said to me, I would never raise money if I didn't have to. (laughs) He said, if you are in a position where you don't have to raise money, that's a great thing. And I was in that position because I had some profits from my previous business, the training business that I could, that I could put into Edgar to get it going. And also the freedom part is really important to me. You know, a big reason that I work for myself is that I have total freedom, total flexibility over my time. And when you raise money, you have people to answer to and you have other people that are decision makers in your business. So I didn't want to for those reasons as well. I think it's been a really, really good decision for the business in retrospect. I mean, when you're bootstrapped, you have to be profitable. Otherwise, you just shut down. And when you're profitable, you're sustainable. And especially now that the climate is sort of changing on fundraising, I I see friends who have companies similar to mine, they started raising money, and now they need to keep raising money because they've, you know, gotten themselves in that trap where, where they don't make money from the business, they rely on fundraising. And a lot of them are having a really hard time raising that next round right now. Do you think that bootstrapping made you more cautious or more willing to take risks with the business or both? 
I think both in different ways. And and to be clear, I think self-funded is probably a little more accurate than bootstrapped because mm-hmm. some some bootstrappers are, you know, making $10, spending $10, making $100, spending $100. And we weren't quite in that situation. But one thing that I've seen that's really cool about a bootstrap business that I wasn't expecting is that you don't have to be so aggressive in a winner take all type of mode because you're not promising anyone that you're going to get to $10 billion, you know? So our business right now is a 2.8, almost $2.9 million company, annual reoccurring. That's a great business. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I own a hundred percent of this business. So like, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. (laughs) Um, We'll keep growing it, but we don't need to have a model that says we have to have every social media customer. You know, we can have a smaller piece of the pie and still have a very successful business. So I think in some ways that's allowed us more freedom because we have the freedom to kind of do what we want and really focus on our niche and Instead of maybe being more similar to other tools that are that are going more for a winner take all, where they need to have all the features because they need to have you know everyone who's doing social media marketing in any kind of way is their target because their their financial model demands that huge growth. Even more impressive, Edgar scaled rapidly, hitting a hundred k in MRR in under a year. Laura explained that the business had a great jumpstart to growth. One, again, we, we were not starting from zero just to give some context. You know, I had been running the training business for five years. So we launched to a list of 75,000 people from the training business. And I had built up my reputation as an expert and a thought leader in social media. So the first few hundred customers came very quickly within the first probably two months, we had a few hundred customers. I'm not sure exactly how many. So we had a nice base to start with, which obviously is is a huge help. And my background is in direct response marketing. You know, I'm not a technical founder. And there's a lot of software companies out there that hate marketing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of software companies don't even add on a marketing team until they're pretty far down the road, which is, right. which is kind of crazy and kind of amazing for them. But we have been very focused on marketing from day one because that's my background. So we haven't been the type of company that's like, build it and they will come. We've been the type of company that's like, okay, how can we find people that you know are really needing the solution? How can we speak their language? How can we build an email list so that we can stay in touch with those people? I mean, I honestly think that just doing the basics of marketing well and staying focused too. You know, We've had a very simple strategy of use social media marketing and use content marketing to get people on a list and then keep following following up with our email lists until they're interested in buying Edgar. So I just feel like honestly, we've done a good job of not getting distracted, doing the basics well and valuing marketing from day one. In order to remain focused, Edgar also had to zero in on the ideal target market. Our target market is content marketers, actually. So Edgar is really valuable when you've built up a library of content because you have that problem that you spend all this time creating this content and you're not sending any traffic to your old stuff is, is how it goes for most people. So we don't have a specific industry vertical. Our customers are mostly online businesses, much more than brick and mortar, which makes sense because online businesses are are much more savvy about content marketing. So yeah, if you've been blogging for at least six months and your topic is evergreen in any way, meaning you're not talking about today's stock picks, but you're writing blog posts that still have value six months from now, then Edgar is, is a pretty obvious win for you. 
I was looking at your site and I saw that you invite prospects to get an invitation to access Edgar. So how is that different than a traditional free trial in SaaS? And why did you choose that wording specifically? Yeah. So I think this actually has been another big contributor to our success. So as I mentioned, we're really big on list building. And I'm a really big believer in list building because especially for a business software product, it's extremely rare that someone is ready to make a purchase the first time they hear about you. It's just, right. it's, we're not an impulse buy. Like you, you really have to consider, you know, if this is worth your money for your business, how you're going to enact a strategy for your business. So people don't come to the site ready to buy. They come to the site wanting to learn more and do some research and read some reviews and think about how this fits with their social strategy. And so it really makes sense to capture an email address so that we can stay in touch with them. And the problem with starting with a trial, which is what, you know, 99% of SaaS companies do is a trial is also a huge commitment, you know? I'm often not ready to even look through software, much less like if you have to do some setup, which you do for Edgar. I mean, it's often an hour or more to, to sit down and really test drive a new piece of software. And that's, that's the ask you're making from your prospect when you're asking for a trial. So not everyone's ready for a trial right now, or they sign up for the trial just because they want to, you know, they know they're interested, but then they don't have time to actually do the trial before it expires. So I kind of got the inspiration for get your invitation because I was looking at my own behavior and I noticed that when startups are in pre-launch and they have one of those landing pages that says, get your invitation. I've noticed that I always sign up for them because <laughs> <laughs> it I, seems exclusive, right? Right. And you know, I just want to know about any new software that's coming out. And sometimes you get a good deal when you're on that list. And I kind of thought about, well, the reason I always sign up is because it's such an easy ask. You know, they're not asking for my phone numbers. So they can give me sales calls. They're not asking for my mailing address and they're not asking me to spend any time investigating their software and seeing how it might work for me. They're just saying, Hey, if if you're interested, you know, put down your email. It's a way to kind of bookmark it for yourself so that you can get more info later. And then later you can decide if you want to buy. So that's the model that we've used. We have tested free trial. It was not as successful for us. We've, we've tested a lot of different wording. The only downside to the wording, get your invitation, is that people often think we're in beta, which we're not. And I don't know if that affects us negatively in, in some way that, that I don't know about. But I think uh, the benefits outweigh the downside. And so how did you choose the pricing model for the product? Do you envision it as accessible to small businesses as well as large enterprises? Yeah, so pricing pricing is always tricky. And when we were looking at pricing, we really wanted to differentiate that we are a marketing tool. Because being in the social media space, you know, there's a lot of free tools or, or ten dollar a month tools mm-hmm. because they're often used by people who are, you know, blogging as a hobby or just using social for fun to keep up with their friends. And we really wanted to say, no, we're we're a marketing tool for social media, not just an updating tool for social media. So we wanted to have a price point that that was a business price point, but we do have a lot of, like I mentioned, you know, freelancers, consultants, a lot of one person businesses. So I guess $49 felt like the right amount to say we are a big value add to your business and we're actually completing a whole social media marketing process for you, not just like sending out your updates to Twitter while not being so expensive that it's it's totally inaccessible if you're smaller. And now it's time for top three. What are your top three metrics for measuring business success? The number one is just number of customers. <laughs> you know, that's the number that I always have my eye on most. Another interesting thing about being bootstrapped is you get to be really 
honest with your numbers. Because I think in a lot of businesses, you sort of skew your numbers to paint a certain picture for investors. I mean, churn is a big place where companies do this. I Before I went into SaaS, I thought that churn was just a number that was what it was. And now I've learned that everyone calculates it differently. And you can make your churn look really bad or really great, depending on which which formula you use. You know? So our numbers are just for us. We want the most honest numbers. So even looking at something like, you know, MRR, that's not the cash, that's not the cash in the door. So I like looking at like how much money we actually collected every month and how many customers we actually have, because all of our customers are are paying customers. We don't have any kind of freemium model. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the most important metric that I look at. And then obviously churn is a really important metric too. And then we have our marketing funnel broken down to the different the different phases of our funnel, which is a website visitor and then an email address and then visiting our plans page where you actually sign up and then becoming a customer. So it's a four-step funnel. So we're always looking at what's the conversion number for each of those steps and, and how can we improve those numbers. What tweaks have you learned along the way to improve those numbers? I, I'd love to hear a story of what kind of like drove up your conversion rates. Mm-hmm. So one thing we've played with is showing different pricing options on the pricing page. We're almost all small business. We used to have some larger enterprise plans that were kind of on the page, like in case anyone wants to buy them and no one ever did. (laughs) Um, And we actually found that it tested better without those plans on the page, which is something that a lot of people tell you to do, like to anchor the price, to have these really expensive plans. For us, the test showed that it was actually higher conversion, maybe a little clearer without those plans. Although we do test better showing... So we have a $49 plan and then we have a $99 plan. Showing both of those options does convert better than showing just the $49 plan, which we've also tested. We just wrapped up a test right now that had our email opt-in embedded in the page rather than coming up as a modal and embedded on the page has performed better than coming up as a modal, which I guess makes sense, right? You're taking away a step. So yeah, those are a few that have worked for us. Our ideal is just to look at that four-step funnel and have a test running at every stage of that funnel at all times. That, that doesn't always happen, but that's, that's what we go for. But while Laura is a big believer in data, she also cautioned business leaders to use metrics the right way. That's been an interesting journey for us because you always want to look at the numbers to help you obviously understand exactly what's going on. But I do think that businesses can get too bogged down in the numbers or have a fantasy of of finding an answer in the numbers that isn't there. Most of the time when you dig into the numbers, you will find what you expect and, and you'll find what's common sense. But sometimes we have a fantasy of like, Oh, if I just look at, you know, whether people add content first or add a schedule first, the people that add content are going to stay like 10 times as long. So I can put all my effort there. Like actually, no, it doesn't really matter which one they add first. Like they, you know, they, <laughs> they stay around the same amount of time. Right. Um, Correlation is not causation, all of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think I do see a lot of SaaS businesses wasting a lot of time trying to find answers and their numbers that aren't there, especially also because we're all talking about such small user bases which kind of throws off anything you might find anyway, right? You find Mm. something and you're like, oh, well, five more people did this than that. I mean, it doesn't really matter. And it's frustrating when you're small that you don't have the best numbers to work with. But 
I think you just have to accept that reality instead of trying to make the numbers something they're not. I feel like there's a mentality in SaaS that you can't build a successful SaaS business just targeting really small companies mm-hmm. or really small mm-hmm. businesses that you have to move up market, you have to hit these bigger targets and have like a larger average sales price in right. order to be profitable. Obviously, you guys are proving that wrong. What do you tell people that think that? Yeah, I mean, that is a very, very common thought process. And we focus on small business for many reasons. I mean, one, that's just where our genuine interest lies. Like we get really motivated by helping small businesses. I have a little more trouble getting motivated <laughs> helping, mm-hmm. helping huge corporations. But I think when people say it's, it's just honestly, it's crazy to me when people say that because you can just look at the sheer number of small businesses. You know, I like to look at MailChimp's numbers. You know, MailChimp has larger businesses now too, as well, but they definitely grew out of the small business space and they're still very much in the small business space and they get thousands of signups a day, every single day. You know, right now we have 5,000 customers. There's way more than 5,000 small businesses in the state of Texas. Mm. You know, I, I just know that we're nowhere near tapping our numbers and you do have to run a business differently. Like we don't have a sales team. We are a hundred percent self-serve because the math obviously is different at a $49 price point. And right. Yeah, you can't just spend thousands of dollars acquiring a customer when your software only costs $49 a month. So you need to work out that math. But I mean, I think having a very successful and very large business in in the small business space is, is obviously possible because there's so many small businesses out there. Now it's time for risky business. Let's find out whether Laura is a risk taker in life as well as her career. This is a really bad question for me because I am not a thrill seeker at all. Like I just get genuinely really scared and then cry and then give up. Like I tried to learn how to ski, which I've never had a desire to do, but just cause my husband loves to ski. I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. Maybe I'm secretly a person who likes to ski deep down inside. No, this is like, this is the worst way I've ever spent my time. I'm not having an ounce of fun at all. So I really cannot say I've done... I mean, I've traveled. Some people are scared to travel. I've traveled to like Burma and maybe some places other people wouldn't want to go, but it's not actually dangerous. But maybe some people would think that's what I've done that's dangerous. If you'd like to learn more about Laura Roeder and her company, Edgar, you can visit meetedgar.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'd like to apologize to all of you for the short gap in between podcast episodes, which happened for the first time ever. But we'll have another episode for you in two weeks, like always. Thanks again.